and welcome back to the Thrive for Life podcast with me, Ashling Daly. This is the fifth episode of my podcast and it's an exciting one for me because it is my first guest appearance on my podcast. In this episode, I interview Louise George, aka yoga underscore with underscore Louise on Instagram. Make sure to check her out. Uh, Louise is a yoga instructor and she's also the owner of Douglas Yoga Centre in Cork. She's also an FRC, which is Functional Range Conditioning Mobility Specialist. And she is also a counsellor specialising in eating disorders and anxiety. Louise marries together yoga and counselling and offers one-to-one sessions at her Douglas Yoga Centre, where she also instructs classes. She also takes clients currently via Eating Freely through eating-freely.com. Louise is also a mother and wife. She's also a kitchen dancer and make sure to check out her Instagram page. She will definitely make you smile with her kitchen dancing skills. Myself and Louise met at her studio in Douglas and I must say that Louise just exudes calm and positivity. She's just one of those people who you automatically feel comfortable in her presence. I felt like I'd known her for years when I met her. We had never met before. We had been connecting through Instagram and I had asked Louise if she would appear on my podcast and I was so thrilled that she accepted my offer. So in this episode, Louise shares her own journey. She shares her battle with eating disorders and how she found yoga and how it has helped her. She also shares her tips for general well-being and self-care. I really, really hope that you enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. Enjoy, and as always, I love hearing your feedback. Make sure you connect with me on Instagram. I'm at thriveforlife.ashlingdaily. Drop me a message. I love connecting with my followers. And please also, if you enjoy this episode, share it with a friend, leave a review or a comment. Thank you so much. So I'm here in the Douglas Yoga Centre with Louise George. She is my first guest on my podcast, so I'm delighted to be here with you, Louise. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm delighted to be here. I'm very uh, honoured to be your first interview guest. Thank you. So we might begin, would you mind telling our listeners a little bit about your relationship with food and body image? Okay, well, I mean, really, it goes a long way back. Um, I think you, you know yourself, I had my own experience with eating disorders in my teens. Um, I was anorexic for a while, I was also bulimic. Um, so it's been a difficult relationship with my body and with food. It's much, much better now, I'm happy to say, but it's been... Yeah, it, it's, it's been difficult over the years. And can you tell me a little bit about, do you think you know where this all began for you, your problematic relationship with food and body image? Yeah, well, I think, I mean, it was only this morning as I was preparing to come to the studio that I remembered um, an incident when I was about five years old. And I was in a ballet class and I remember looking around at the other girls. They all had these really long kind of gangly legs and... And I didn't. I had kind of short, fairly stumpy legs compared to them. And I remember thinking, I don't belong here. I don't, my body's not right to be a ballet dancer. Now, that was probably my first conscious memory of feeling that way about my body. And, and I think that was probably in the background as I was growing up. Um, 
I remember as well another incident when I was about 14. I remember a group of boys turning around and saying I had legs like tree trunks. And that just was like, you know, there was Common something... Like that stays with you, doesn't yeah, it? There, yeah, and there was something that was intrinsically not okay about me. And so, you know, then I would cover my legs and I would wear the kind of clothes that didn't show off my body. And, um, and then when I went off to university at 18... I think that was really when my actual eating disorders started. Um, I was in the halls of residence and, you know, food was kind of freed. You could eat as much as you wanted and we were going out and drinking and partying a lot and I gained a little bit of weight. I don't think it was very much, quarter of a stone, half a stone, something, not a huge amount, um, but I became conscious of that. And actually, um, I remember watching, I don't know what the programme was, it could have been Neighbours, but there was a girl on the program who was eating and then had gone off to make herself sick. And I remembered thinking, oh, I could do that. That might be a way. And started doing it, started making myself sick after my dinners and then my breakfast. And then that kind of turned into a more restrictive pattern. I, I obviously realized that wasn't a good thing to do. Mm. It's amazing and that the TV show was probably yeah, trying to highlight it. the issues so the that dangers. people could and talk this, about yeah, it or absolutely. open up about it, but it yeah. actually gave me an idea. inspired you to yeah. take that route. But as I said, there was already all those underlying issues. The issues were there. Yeah. yeah, and so then I started thinking, okay, I'll walk to university today and then I'll walk home and then I'll do some exercise in my room and then mm, how many calories are in this compared to that? And I started to go down that route of restriction and... I know you were sort of saying you were um, with the Weight Watchers, with the points. Mm -hmm. I was very much a calorie counter. In fact, by the end of this, I was kind of weighing lettuce leaves to calculate calories. I mean, it was got ridiculous. Yeah. But so that was kind of first year at university. And then it just gradually, you know, got more and more entrenched, I think, as a behavior. And I had long periods of restriction. And then I would kind of break down and eat and be sick and then think well I might as well eat everything and this is very common that we think you know if I'm going to eat I might as well eat everything I want and then get rid of and start again so that went on for a few years yeah at university it was um, they say university years are the happiest years of your life mm. but wasn't my experience not for everyone yeah. no so was there a turning point for you Louise um, like what was the first step towards you maybe changing your behaviours or healing your relationship with food and with body image? There was actually a really definite turning point for me and um, it was I was in the third year at university it was Christmas Eve and my weight was probably you know at its lowest and that was actually one of the nights when somebody had said to me, Louise, you know, you kind of look like shit. And, and I'd brushed it off. Mm -hmm. But we'd gone out to a nightclub and, I don't know, we probably had a few drinks and, and I was dancing around and I was feeling fine, you know, didn't have a problem. Um, but I turned around and I saw myself in a mirror. You know those mirrors, you know you sometimes see yourself from a different angle. Yeah. So I wasn't looking straight at myself in the mirror. I just saw myself off to the side. And all of a sudden, I saw what everybody else was seeing. Really? So you yeah. had a moment like... I had a moment where I was kind of like a little bit detached from myself and I saw myself through other people's eyes. Yeah. And it was, it was quite a shock because I couldn't pretend anymore. I mean, I saw I was waif-like, really. My head looked too big for my body. I had these little tiny legs... And my hair had gone so thin and 
it wasn't it wasn't good luck and it wasn't how I was feeling inside because I was feeling strong and in control but the person in the mirror looked really weak and a bit pathetic and so that was kind of like there was no real going back from that I'd kind of seen it and I had to confront it then um so was it you that took the step personally then to yeah well I, I woke up the next day and I decided to stand on the scales and I think I was I don't know I was five stone ten or something and I remember thinking to myself okay right this is going to be the first day of the rest of my life and I've got to do something about it so I had Christmas I don't know what Christmas was like it was probably pretty stressful went back to university went to see a counsellor found myself a dietitian, and started very much like yourself you know this kind of way where I'd be planning what I was going to eat in Mm -hmm. the morning and you know I was still pretty hooked on calories because you can't kind of undo that I mean even to this day I could still tell you how many calories are in a curly whirly or something you know it's it's kind of it's in there um but I started working with this dietitian who actually was just the nicest person she was very very warm she was very caring she she kind of was nurturing and um I felt very safe with her and I very gradually increased my intake, increased my calories, and very slowly regained the weight. And well, not I didn't regain all the weight actually, yeah. but I regained enough weight to, to get out to of be that healthy danger. And functioning. Well, uh, to get out of the danger zone. And then I started going to the gym to try and rebuild some muscle. Um, and when you were struggling, would you have used exercise as kind of a punishment to kind of torch calories and... I think I did. I mean, I did a lot of walking. I'd walk everywhere to right. try and burn calories. You know, I mean, I had to stop myself when I was in the gym from going on these treadmills that tell you how many calories you've burned and, yeah. you know, to try not to notice that. I yeah. mean, it's, it's difficult because that's your, your set to look for, you know, calories and everything and how many calories have I burned and... Um, so I mean that's that's difficult but but I had good support and you know obviously you know my parents were supportive um, but it's it's really really hard I think you know you really need to use all of that kind of um, that drive and that stubbornness that gets you into the problem in the first place to get yourself get out, out of it yeah, yeah. Um, but it but it, it took a, it took a long time to get to a weight that was safe again yeah. really and do you think it has to come from the person themselves wanting yeah, to change? I, I do you do. think they're, yeah. that someone is ever going to change if they're forced into it without being ready themselves? Or I don't know. I think maybe yeah. sometimes that can work. But no, I, I do believe you've really got to want it because it's a battle. I mean, yeah. it's not an easy journey to get out of an eating disorder. It's really scary. And you really fear that you're going to lose control. And I mean, the other thing I remember actually was going into the local library and getting a book on eating disorders and just being so shocked at like how textbook I was yeah. you know I did every single one of the things that it outlined in this book and I was just like wow you know I I didn't realize I was so predictable I thought I was doing something really unusual and that, that was really odd and, and unexplainable but actually I was a textbook case I was um, thinking earlier there was a, a study that was done in 1945 called the Minnesota experiment and they took a group of men about 40 men and they put them, these were men that didn't want to go out to war, and so they agreed to do this study. And they agreed to go onto a restricted diet for a period of six months. So they fed them initially, I don't know, 3,200 calories, a decent amount of calories. And then after a few weeks, they reduced their calories to half. And then they monitored them for six months. And most of these men 
were becoming depressed, were very lethargic, they lost interest in all of the things that they used mm -hmm. to love. Um, they were obsessive about food. Some of them were obsessively at 5 a.m. reading cookery books, you know, to, to kind of try and plan what they could eat when they were allowed to eat again. And then gradually they, after the six months period when they'd studied their results of that, they, um, they slowly increased their calorie intake and then they allowed them to eat whatever they wanted. And a good number of the men lost control, they were starting to binge, um, a lot of them gained more weight than they previously had had on their body. And, you know, it, it, they, they really struggled. They event, I mean, they essentially developed eating disorders. So, you know, if you cut somebody's calories to the extent that I did and probably mm -hmm. you did, you know, it's very likely to trigger, trigger an eating disorder. Yeah, so restriction can totally feed into... Yeah. So like with your experience, going to Weight Watchers, yeah. you know, and starting to focus on, you know, the points and, and, and stuff like that, that was potentially enough just to trigger your yeah. eating disorder. And, and feeling and like if I eat less points and less points, yeah. even less than was recommended, yeah. then maybe I'll get more results and better results. And yeah, yeah. absolutely. And I, I mean, I do think as well that there are a number of kind of personality traits that kind of go along with somebody perhaps who's suffering from an eating disorder i mean like that study shows that just by changing our calorie intake we can trigger an eating disorder but from having worked with people myself i, I you know I, I think there are certain traits that will tend to create that potential more okay. so like restricting is one element of it that can lead into that kind of binge cycle yeah but what kind of personality traits do you think would be typical of people that might be easily more prone yeah. to being triggered into yeah and that's the thing is I mean you can't predict who will and who won't but I, I think from the people that I've worked with and from my own experience I think people that tend to get really enmeshed in eating disorders they might have already a, quite a low self-esteem I mean I gave you the example of when I was five years old mm -hmm. there was already that seed there in me that I wasn't okay or I wasn't yeah. measuring up um, and the very fact that I was even looking at the other girls and comparing myself, you know, I had that in me, that, that, that tendency to, to compare and to, to notice. I was very sensitive. I think I'm quite empathic. I think people often are, you know, they yeah. feel things deeply. I used to say, I feel like I'm missing a layer of skin, you know, everything kind of affects me. Um, also, I came from a family that didn't talk about feelings very openly. So when I was struggling, I didn't have the language. I didn't know, how to, yeah. I didn't know how to express it or, I, or it felt just difficult for me to be open and honest. Um, stubborn, I think we can be quite stubborn. We can be quite perfectionistic, yeah. quite driven and determined characters. Um, you know, maybe we have high expectations of ourselves, um, maybe too high. Yeah. You know, um, hands up. <laughs> yeah. This, this is me. Yeah. So it's kind of like a perfectionism. It's not about other people. Like, yeah. You know, I'm not critical or judgmental of other people in the way that I would have been critical and judgmental of myself. It's only about me. Yeah. Not being good enough. Everybody else to me is better than me. Do you yeah. know that would have been the mindset. So there are things like that that I think you know if you've got some of those characteristics. Um, be careful if you're going to go on a diet you know it'd be be very careful what if you're playing around with exactly. changing your intake so did your experiences then with food and body image did they influence your decision to become a counselor surely 
Yeah, they do, yeah. <laughs> definitely, yeah. Well, I think, I mean, at university I was studying um, psychology and sociology and communication studies, so I was always very interested in people. I always kind of liked to be surrounded. I, I was very sociable and, and, you know, I loved to be surrounded by people. I was interested in travelling. Um, so counselling was actually a perfect job for me, but specialising in eating disorders obviously came from my own experience, but... Um, it also meant that I had to really get myself sorted out before I could be working with anybody else. Exactly. Yeah. There, there were other things as well. I went off traveling. Once I kind of got my weight stabilized a little bit, I went off traveling for a year and really enjoyed meeting new people and seeing different cultures and all the different values of the, the different countries and people that I met. And, you know, I realized I want to work with people but then I was traveling with my boyfriend, Michael, at the time, and about nine months into the trip, Michael started to become very ill and have a lot of um, headaches, and he was vomiting, and eventually I managed to get him to a doctor in, in Australia, and they diagnosed an inoperable brain tumor, Oh God! which yeah. was really um, quite traumatic at the time, and we had to straight away fly back. Yeah. And, I mean, he did have some treatment, but there wasn't really anything they could do. And Michael, about six months later, died. So I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, I was kind of thrust into this kind of, you know, something that I couldn't control. Yeah. And everything in my life had been about trying to be in control. So it was kind of like this realisation that Michael was... I mean, you know, he was vegetarian, he was a non-smoker, he didn't really drink, he, he exercised, he had a really healthy lifestyle. And this just happened yeah. to him. And I realized actually there's not a lot we can control in life and that, you know, he would have given anything to have lived for longer. Mm -hmm. And here I was not really looking after my body very well, not really respecting and honoring my body. And I think that really was a, another big turning point for me where I okay. thought I have to... So it to didn't trigger you to go back to trying not to control all, eating? Actually, it, it triggered no. you to want to release and just... Yeah. live your life yeah and fully. Let, let's just beat this thing once yeah. and for all and and after Michael died I think you know I mean it was traumatic it was a, it was a very dark and difficult time but it was an opportunity for me to deal with something emotionally differently okay. and to look for help and to talk to people and to have hugs from people and uh, it was around that time that I started my counseling training my just my certificate and um, I just loved it. I just thought, right, this is me now. This is exactly what I want to do. And, and then I went off. I, I moved away and did my advanced diploma in counselling and continued from there. So. Brilliant. Excellent. So once you got your qualification as a counsellor, did you start working straight away with clients or how did you get well, it, up and running? Yeah, well, as part of the qualification, you have to do placements. So I did my placements in, I chose victim support. And I also worked in GP surgery. And, and that was really, actually, I went on to do that. My next job was in a GP surgery. And so, you know, if somebody went to the doctor and perhaps their marriage was breaking down or they, they you know, they were suffering from grief, the doctor would recognize that need to talk and obviously they only have five minutes in a, exactly. in a session so they would send that person on to the counselor the in-house counselor which was me so I was working with people for six-week blocks 
And I think that's a great system that they had there going on in, in the UK. And then I did that for a while and then I got um, a placement in Liverpool University. They had an eating disorder service there and I actually worked for nothing for really? the first six months. Yeah, I yeah. just did it voluntarily because I wanted it so much. So, And I wanted to get the experience and I wanted to make sure that I'd resolve my own issues yeah. and make sure they were happy with me. So, And then they employed me and I worked there for for a while and kind of moved on. Eventually I ended up working in the NHS in an inpatient, sorry, an outpatient um, eating disorders unit. So I did that for about a decade, maybe 12 years before I moved to Ireland. Okay, and then when you moved to Ireland, where did you start working? Did you? Well, <laughs> the qualifications that I'd done in the UK actually didn't satisfy the IACP um, the Irish system yeah, yeah. It, it, it wasn't recognized um, I did a full-time one-year course and they wanted it to be a two-year part-time course okay. so that was a problem moving over but moving to Ireland was that was a whole other thing for me actually um, this was about 10 years ago now that we moved over but I really struggled that was another actual kind of Trigger. difficult time for me could have been I yeah. think could have been I, I find I had to leave my job and obviously I'd worked for you know 12 years to, to build up that job so I left my career I left all of my friends mm -hmm. I left my family um, I'd never even been to court before and I had two young children by this stage that were five years old and two years old and about 10 weeks after we moved to Ireland my mum passed away so I found myself in this situation where I just felt totally ungrounded. Like everything that I'd had that made me feel safe suddenly had gone. And I mean, you know, if I hadn't have already got all of my eating disordered behaviours in check and, and, and be totally okay with that, I could, I guess, have gone back into an eating disorder at that point, but I but didn't. But you didn't, yeah. No, I didn't, but I was very low. It was a very low time for me. And actually that's what brought me to to yoga okay yeah and just before we move on to talk about yoga for someone who might be struggling with an eating disorder they might be afraid to make that call or to look for help to look for help yeah. um could you tell us a little bit about maybe what a counseling session might look like for someone or yeah well i mean i think that's going to be very dependent on the counselor that's in front of you but i, th I think you know, like in England, I was saying the system, The when I worked in the NHS, that was a free service for, yeah. for people. When I worked in the GP surgery, that was a free service for people. So I think people would maybe go to counselling more easily because it right, wasn't... Right, they were referred on. Yeah, and, and also yeah. It, there wasn't that huge financial commitment. Yeah. Whereas here, you know, it can be quite expensive to go for help, but also... You know, both in England and here, there's a, there's still a stigma attached to to anybody having issues with mental health. I think it's definitely getting less, which is yeah. fantastic. But it's still there, and people still feel like, oh, they don't want to admit that they're going for counselling. Whereas I think everybody should go for counselling. Yeah. I think I think it's a no brain. I think even if you think you've got no issues, you should still go for counselling. Yeah. Um, I've never gone for counselling in my life. It's something that I've yeah, always no, see, I been actually, interested to. Yeah, but I actually see it now as it's like it's just a gift. I mean, I go to counselling yeah. every every few weeks still because there's so many layers to unravel, and you just get to know yourself so much better. Exactly. So I, I don't even see it as as being to do with kind of having problems. I see it as just you know a way of 
it's self-care actually it's it, that's exactly what it is it's a way of looking after yourself okay um but in terms of like what a counseling session looks like you know you're usually going to be sitting with somebody for an hour they're probably going to ask you about your family background and mm-hmm. your childhood and because they want to kind of work out you know what what's underlying your behaviors and your way of thinking i mean you know we all come from a family background and we all soak up values from our parents and rules and beliefs that actually they might not serve us very mm. well they might not even fit for us anymore so counseling is a way of working out who you are and what you believe and trying to work out yeah okay that belongs to my mom okay yeah. that's her stuff that's not my stuff I'm gonna let that go and I think if you get a good counselor they'll help you work through that stuff and just to see those blind spots it's like basically they're gonna call you on your own bullshit you know yeah, they're yeah. gonna say well hang on a minute what's going on there and you might not be able to see that yeah but they they will notice it so that a good counselor will, will kind of help reveal yourself to yourself they call you up a mirror absolutely yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah and that's why it's so important to work through your own stuff first because otherwise you're going to project a lot of that onto your client and okay. that's not so okay. So you probably had to do a lot of self-work before you started yeah, working yeah. with Yeah, you have to others. have your own counselling really. A counsellor should be having their own therapy, you know, they should be sort of really aware of their own yeah. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And just before we move on, I, I'd love to talk about the yoga a bit more, but first of all, um, how could somebody support a loved one who's struggling with an eating disorder? Is there things they should or shouldn't say or what could they do if well, there anything you could recommend do you think there's a right thing that you could say to somebody when they're in the midst of an eating disorder mm-hmm. it's very difficult no. yeah it's very very difficult um i think that all you can do is be there for them and listen if and when they're ready to talk um just keep supporting them just keep giving them the positive message that you know they're okay as yeah. they are I mean you know if you're suffering from a mental illness or an eating disorder or however I mean I actually think of eating disorders as emotional illnesses mm-hmm. um, but if, if somebody is suffering just just support them just be there to listen if and when they're ready really um, because you know I don't think there's any right or wrong thing you can say I, okay. I think often with somebody with an eating disorder nothing you say is gonna yeah. be the right thing to say if you say to them wow you know you look really well it's like okay they mean i look fat yeah do you know so what can yeah. you what can there's you say? no right or wrong yeah i don't think so no but i i would actually say if you are like say a parent of a child that's suffering just get support for yourself because right. that's it's so difficult to be confronted with that, I imagine, day in and day out. And it's scary. I mean, yeah. eating disorders is the highest mortality rate of all mental illness. I yeah. mean, it's a scary disease. Um, so get support for yourself because you're going to need it, I think. Yeah. You know? And is there a common cause that you see for eating disorders? Or do you think, do you think social media is playing a part in fueling? Yeah, I don't know. You see, social media wasn't a thing back when I was sick. I mean, I my mother was into Weight Watchers. I mean, if I opened the cupboard door in the kitchen, there was always a graph on the door of her weight going up and down. She would chart her weight. There was um, labels on the biscuit tins saying a minute on the lips and a lifetime on the hips. You know, 
or don't eat me or whatever. So I kind so of these messages that things yeah. are food is good and bad. And, yeah, yeah, and also that you know, I mean, I suppose like she must have gave, given me the message that if you feel crappy about yourself, lose weight and then you'll feel better. I, I don't know. I mean, yeah. it wasn't. We didn't can't have conversations about it, but you soak it up exactly. from your environment. Um, and she was constantly yo-yo dieting, you know. Yeah. Um, but no, I think, like I said, I think there are personality traits that perhaps, I mean, again, you know, my mum was quite an anxious person. My mum was never really happy with the way she looked, so maybe I have a little bit of that. Um, but then also, as I said, there's, you know, difficult, if somebody has difficulty expressing what they're feeling or they haven't learned how to kind of talk about things more openly, that can feed into it. I remember buying magazines and reading all of the, you know, the, the lose, you know, 10 pounds in two weeks diet yeah. or this diet or that diet. I mean, I think, you know, maybe it wasn't social media then, maybe it was magazines and television, mm-hmm. but it's like, we're going to find that yeah. all around us. And the worst time of year for years was always like new year yeah this start your new year by losing all its weight and um and even now well not now but you know even in more recent years I just you just hear people talking about right you know in the new year I'm going to do this diet and I don't know it's just it's everywhere it is yeah we're constantly exposed um do you think that environment environment can influence a person's risk of developing an eating disorder like certain industries or sports or yeah I guess I mean you hear a lot about you know dancers that that you know models you know likely to get kind of hooked into eating disorders because you know you'd hear about models being told you can't model until you lose weight or dancers Mm -hmm. being told you're not going to be a ballet dancer you're too heavy I mean there is obviously pressure so Louise we'll get back to yoga now you mentioned a while ago that when you moved to Ireland that it was a difficult time for you and you you found yoga at that time I was, did yeah was that the case well there was a there's a little bit more I suppose I when I um after my mum died and I think you know obviously I was grieving my mum was really the closest person to me in my life I have a very small family and we were very close <clears throat> so that was really that was really difficult and I think not being around other friends and family to grieve with them was was kind of hard so I just I just felt exhausted and I was waking up and I was dizzy. I was waking up feeling exhausted even though I'd been to sleep. I was um, I was having digestive issues. I was having a lot of palpitations. I was getting numb patches on my hands and on my face. I kept going to the doctors and the doctors kept saying it's stress. Okay. Now you have to bear in mind, I'd been working for a decade as a counsellor. So you'd think that I would have recognised yeah. all of these signs, which I did, but... I didn't really know what to do about it because I didn't. Well, I didn't have the network of support around me that I'd kind of relied on before. So, yeah, I was kind of a bit stuck. I went for uh, Reiki, and actually, I remember really well this session. I, I went for a session of Reiki, and I came home after it, and I sat in the garden, and I just remember thinking, "Oh my God, this is peace. This is relaxation. This feeling." is so far away from what I've been feeling like I was running on adrenaline mm-hmm. I was in fight and flight I was actually stuck and I think you know also I'd had two babies I'd breastfed two babies I'd had all the sleepless nights and I'd been working um and doing extra studying for different courses and so I'd kind of burnt myself out um 
and just was stuck in this fight and flight you know my, my body was running on pure cortisol pure adrenaline and the reiki session it was like it just brought me back to this feeling of calm and that's when I kind of realized I need to find a way to get myself back to okay. feeling like this and I didn't know how to do that now I'd had friends in England saying to me for years do yoga yeah and I was like I'm too fucking stressed to do yoga yeah. do you know like I couldn't slow down um but I started doing yoga, I went to classes, and I actually was the person, um, and it makes me laugh because I do have people that do this in my classes, I used to get up at the end, before the relaxation, and kind of nod to the teacher and say, I'm, thanks very much, yeah, I'm, I'm To off be the now. first to get your shoes yeah, and go. I and could yeah. not lie down on the floor yeah. for 10 minutes at the end of class, I just couldn't. Um, so that's how stressed I was. And the Reiki kind of really brought me back to that calm. So I started doing the yoga. I was walking out before the relaxation for a while. Um, I actually went and did my own Reiki training, did the level one Reiki, but realized, look, this isn't, I don't want to do this for other people. This is just, right. you know, trying to sort myself out. Yeah. I started going to um, chanting workshops and meditation classes. I went to see a breathing practitioner because I was hyperventilating. I'd recognized that my breathing was all off. Yeah. Um, so I was doing all these different things and then one day I saw a poster that said yoga teacher training and I just stood there and thought ah all of these different things that I'm doing the breathing and the relaxation and the energy work and I thought it's all yoga so I remember going home and saying to my husband I need to do yoga and he went yeah yeah well you know keep going to the class I said no I need to do yoga I need yeah. to immerse myself in yoga because I knew for me that's the only way I have to kind of, yeah. you know, I'm all in or I'm all yeah. out. So I signed up for the teacher training, had no intention whatsoever of teaching. That wasn't something that I was interested in at all. But you have to for part of the course. Okay. And then as I was teaching, I thought, this is great. I'm actually passing on things that are helping me to other people. Yeah. And it kind of grew from there. Started a class, started two classes and three and four and built up. Brilliant. And, and here I am, and this now I've got my own studio. studio. Yeah, if you just told me this 10 or 12 years ago, I wouldn't have believed it was wow. possible because I hadn't even done yoga 10 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> so That's amazing. And do you teach yoga every day here? Is it Monday um, to Friday? Pretty much, yeah. yeah. I, well, I have a couple of days off during the week, but um, yeah, I'm doing quite a lot of classes now. Yeah. And there are a lot of other teachers coming in and doing classes as well. So it's quite a busy studio, which is great. But um, I love teaching. And actually, I feel like yoga is therapy. Yeah. I think, you know, that there was a point at which, you know, it was helping me so much that I realized it's like yoga is therapy without the talking. It's like getting mm -hmm. into your body, which actually now, I mean, there, especially with regards to trauma, and actually that's the other thing, eating disorders can be triggered by trauma. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and now they're realizing that, you know, people with trauma, they can talk about their issues and that will help to a certain extent but you can end up just telling your story and actually a lot of trauma is held in the body all trauma is held yeah. in the body grief is held in the body i mean they would say that grief is often held in your lungs and there i was hyperventilating with breathing issues yeah. and grieving the loss of my mum. you know so i think we're only beginning to understand that there's a great book I'm, i've been reading recently um the body keeps the score um, and, and you know that just outlines all the different ways that 
you know, we're holding our trauma inside of us. And I think, I think we probably know that instinctively. Yeah. You know, often people will say, oh, I'm heartbroken and their hands are on their chest or I'm gutted, you know. Yeah. And we, we use those phrases because that's where we feel it. That's where we experience it. And, and so yoga is working at that body level. Yeah. So it's therapy. You know, it didn't occur to me in the beginning, but over the years, very much so. And a lot of my students, you know, they're coming because we have a nice community here. You know, they enjoy moving their bodies. Mm -hmm. And I'd imagine yoga would be good as an exercise for someone who is coming out of an eating disorder too, because those people typically might have used exercise as a form of punishment Absolutely. or again to torch calories so that they could control what's going in and what's going out and that yeah. yoga is just a form I suppose of moving your body for, for enjoyment is, and for Well the thing is, is that yoga can be anything from a 90 minute you know hot yoga really mm-hmm. strong sweaty class cardiovascular kind of you know orientated class to something like, I mean, I taught last night a, a really slow restorative class all in candlelight and completely yeah. the other end of the scale. So yoga, you know, I mean, I would say that to anybody thinking, right, I'm going to try yoga because I've got an eating problem. Try a few different classes first yeah. and actually stick with it once you find the right class because, as I say, I couldn't even lie down for relaxation. Yeah. You know, um, it's hard when it's slow because you're not feeding that whole I mean I've seen people in class looking at their you know their watch to see if their heart rate is going up or what's going really, on you know yeah. and you're thinking it's not gonna happen yeah and not in my class it's not yeah um because that's not what it's about it's more about getting in your body and people with eating disorders you know their their connection with their body isn't great mm-hmm. you know their relationship with their body often isn't great they don't actually want to be in their body yeah. it's not a place that feels comfortable so that can take time to build up you know that respect for your body and that feeling of you know you see I think I did go to the gym quite a bit in the beginning and I, I really I like that feeling of strong Yeah. look what I can do I can lift this weight I'm strong and I was constantly trying to tell myself I was strong which is kind of what I'd done in the eating disorder kind of mindset as well you know Mm -hmm. I don't need this food I'm strong you know I can go without lunch I'm strong yoga is not about that yeah you know yoga is about sort of connecting your mind and your body and your breath and and building on that respect for your body and that self-love and compassion and listening in yeah it's it goes a little bit deeper so yeah very very much um a form of therapy if you look at it that way Brilliant. So yoga is something that you practice yourself for your own well-being now, I'm sure. And yeah. maybe you could tell the listeners, is there anything else that you do to look after your own well-being? I think probably yoga is the main thing. Uh, you know, I will say as well, one thing that helped me, and I wish I'd done it sooner, was getting a dog. Really? Yeah. yeah. Especially after I lost my mum, you yeah. know, and, and I became obsessed with other people's dogs. I remember we went on holiday one year to France and I kept stopping people going, can I stroke yeah. your dog? And it was like, you know, it was like broody for a dog. Mm-hmm. I just wanted this dog. And we came home from that holiday on the Saturday and by Sunday lunchtime we had a dog. Going, yeah, it was yeah. like, I just needed this dog. And then I used to lie with her on my chest. Yeah. We used to just breathe together. I mean, she's been so, so good. Um, for stress release yeah you know so yeah animals I think a lot of people feel like that about animals they yeah. get a lot of healing from animals 
Um, I love my baths, my Epsom salt baths. I find them really soothing. Actually, one of the things I seem to need a lot of when I went through that period of stress was electrolytes and okay. magnesium. You yeah. know, so a, a sea salt bath or a magnesium bath has been really nice once a week, twice a week or whatever. Um, getting out into nature is always good. Yeah. Um, but no, I think the yoga is the main thing and it's the it's the mindfulness aspect of it it's the slowing down and listening in it's the the respect for your body and um you know calming the nervous system because yeah. i have a tendency to easily run on fight and flight to run yeah. on cortisol um so i have to be really mindful of that you know i can get very excitable and i can mm -hmm. you know start to skip meals and stay up late and drive myself yeah i know i have that capacity so i think yoga keeps me in check that way um which is great because that's yeah. my job as well exactly. so. <laughs> and do you practice meditation at home or is yoga your meditation yeah i think i think moving slowly and mindfully and and keeping your attention on your breath as you're moving through your postures and you know it's almost like you're feeling your body from the inside out yeah rather than we're so fixed when we've had eating disorders on looking at our body from the outside in. Appearance comes first and then yeah. whatever's going on inside. Absolutely. And I mean, I can start a yoga practice and my head can be really busy and I can be thinking about all sorts of things. And then by the end of it, when I'm sitting, you know, in that short meditation at the end, it's like, I'm so grounded and yeah. I'm so centered. And if you're in that place, when you leave a class, you can bet your life you're going to make better decisions. Yeah. You know, you can bet your life that if you meet somebody that triggers you or winds you up, you're going to just have that moment before you react. Whereas like if I don't do yoga, I, it's, it's very easy to kind of lose myself in that madness again, that chaos. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I'm not saying that I don't do that sometimes yeah. still. I mean, my kids could vouch for the fact that, you know, I still lose my temper. I'm not any kind of Zen, Yeah. you know, but, um, yeah, you can only try. Exactly. That's all we can do. Um, so I will be finishing up with um, by asking you to pick a quote that you, if you had to live by a particular quote, what would it be? But before we get to that, is there anything else that you'd like to say to our listeners? Just any other tips maybe for I for think, life or for people with eating disorders? Is there anything yeah, like, you know, else that you'd I like to share? I think really pay attention to what brings you joy. Right. Do you know, like what brings you into your flow state you know I mean you've seen my Instagram page I like to dance yes dancing makes me happy just makes me happy yeah um so you know I, I post these random kitchen dancing videos on Instagram because that's what I do to make myself happy and watching but, them brings me joy <laughs> I don't know, I'm sure people are laughing my kids yeah. might not see it that way but you know um but it might be that somebody plays an instrument or they might like to journal or garden or, you know, baking or yeah. it doesn't matter. Flower arranging, it doesn't matter what you do, getting out into nature. But whatever you do that brings you into that joy and that state of flow, you know, where time just passes so mm -hmm. quickly. I think, yeah. you know, find out what those things are for you and be honest with yourself, be real, express yourself openly. I mean... You know, I often put hashtag fuck shame. You yeah. Know, sorry for the language, but it's like there's so much shame Absolutely. around everything. Yeah. You know, why? Like we are just who we are. Do you know, we're all perfect. We're all experiencing yeah. very similar things. Absolutely. But and and if we can be honest it. and share it and be real, 
then we realize we're not alone and that's and much, shame disappears then yeah. absolutely and I think you know we we have to find our tribe we have to find the people that we can be ourselves with and, and feel safe with and I think then those other things will come but also find purpose in your life you know so find what makes you happy what brings you joy but find what gives you a sense of purpose and for mm-hmm. me you know the work like I've been so lucky because honestly I don't think I've ever got up on a Monday morning and thought I don't want to go to work this yeah. week I mean I love what I do and it's it's like an extension of me it's come from my experience and I'm passing on everything that I'm learning all the time and yoga brings me in touch with such amazing people you know open-minded people yeah um, so I'm really lucky that way but I think yeah just don't be afraid to ask for your needs to be met as well that's mm-hmm. another one and I'm working on that all the time because it's very easy for me to kind of go I'm okay no I'm okay I'm fine yeah you know when I'm not and I find it really difficult to say do you know actually could I have a hug or you know can we can we go for you know food or could you sit with me whilst I whatever yeah. you know I've found that really difficult over the years to ask for help um, it's kind of being vulnerable really isn't it yeah. yeah but like I think it's through vulnerability that we we make real true connections and Absolutely. interestingly that you were going to finish with the quote I can't think of a quote apart from my own kind of mantra and if anybody listening to this knows me they've probably heard me say it because I say it all the time in fact I was going to get it on the wall here in the studio yeah it's all about connection yeah I come back to that time and time again it's all about connection connecting our minds and our bodies and our breaths connecting to ourselves Mm -hmm. first and then connecting to each other and I think you know when we feel connected whether that's you know in your family or your you know your relationship your marriage your community your job your purpose I, I think that's when we have the best most robust mental health when we feel we've got that connection and when that's gone like you know, as I say, when I moved over to Ireland, I kind of lost so many of those connections yeah. and disconnected from myself again. And certainly when I was eating disordered, I was disconnected from my body. Yeah. That's when the problems arise. So that's my quote. It's all about connection. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I was reading Dr. Rangan Chatterjee's book, The Stress Solution. Yeah. And, that, and um, his work is brilliant. But he talks about that, about human connection, that that's yeah. the biggest thing that is... There lacking people in people's it. lives today there are people you know be saying oh, i'm an expert in human connection they're yeah. studying this now and and you know i think brené brown talks about it everybody's talking about it yeah. really you know because i mean even like um alcoholics anonymous they say addiction you know the the um antidote to addiction is connection like i've yeah. read that as well so i think there's a lot of truth in that and i think you see what you were saying about social media i see the problem with social media. I mean, I'm a yoga teacher. There are millions of yoga teachers out there turning themselves inside out and mm-hmm. wrapping themselves in knots in little bikinis on the beach. And yeah, I can see how that will feed into people's obsessions with weight and food. But the way that I've been using Instagram to connect with like-minded people um, has just brought me so much. I mean, we met through exactly. Instagram. Yeah. You know, I just did a course with a nutritionist um, Lynn Thorstenson that I met on Instagram I'm going over to a retreat in the UK with a, another yoga teacher that I met through Instagram you know yeah. it's really opened up a lot of doors to me and so you know actually uh, social media gives us an opportunity to find our tribe 
Exactly. Yeah. And I suppose it's important to remember that we have control over who we follow, what accounts we follow Absolutely. on Instagram. So if there are accounts that are making you feel like unhappy yeah, that luckily. I'm only comparing, yeah. yeah, find more people that you can actually connect with yeah, properly that make you, that feel, make good. you feel good. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. We we are we do have that choice and you know, I mean I'm sure there are loads of people sitting out there just, you know, swiping through all of these Instagram accounts with all of these people that are triggering them all the time. I mean, don't do it. Like, exactly. just, you know, recognise that. But sometimes we don't recognise that we're doing it. So, yeah, you need know, to maybe. take a step back, yeah. Absolutely. Brilliant. So thank you so much, Louise, for being welcome. my really very first it. guest. Um, <laughs> it was amazing to connect with you. Yeah, and here's to, here's to many more connections and meeting up for more chats like this again. Great. Thank so you. thank you so much, Louise. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to episode number five of the Thrive for Life podcast with me Ashling Daly and my guest Louise George. If you're affected by an eating disorder please seek professional help. I'd also strongly recommend if you're based in Ireland or anywhere worldwide the Bodywise website bodywise.ie it's the Eating Disorders Association of Ireland and they have lots of really helpful resources on their website. They also have a helpline for those of you based in Ireland and the number is 1890 200 444 or you can drop them an email at info at bodywise.ie. Louise is a fantastic example of how it is possible to overcome an eating disorder and live a full and healthy life in the aftermath of an eating disorder. So if you found this episode beneficial or if you enjoyed this episode and think that a friend might enjoy it also, please share it with them or I'd love if you could leave a review. The more reviews that I receive, the more people uh, can actually hear and enjoy my podcast. So I would really appreciate it. So until next time, thank you so much for listening.